Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. So uh, just to introduce myself, my name is Simon Goff. Uh, I've been part of Lambrick for a long time, and I head up the missional engagement team here. And this is a very, very special service today. So I'm introducing it rather than standing up here and speaking for a long time. You'll be pleased to know. Um, So first up, a quick straw poll, interactivity engagement. Um, Raise your hand if you've been at Lambrick for the last... Uh, three uh, last year. Okay, this should be most people. Um, by the way, so, okay, so keep your hands raised. Um, if you've been here three years, hands raised, looking around the room here, judging the room. Uh, five years. We're beginning to lose some here. Okay, five years. This is an important marker, actually. Five years was the last time this church sent a group to Ethiopia uh, with Scott. Okay, let's just for fun keep it for 10 years, 20 years, actually 20, yep, 20 years. Okay, beyond 20, 25 years and up. Congratulations. There are the... (laughs) Uh, you guys part of the original DNA of Lambrick. But talking about the DNA of Lambrick, it's like what we've been doing for the last uh, few months is the Fruitables series. And we've said, it's like, let's get family members from the church to come and speak to us. Well, even though today is like a special service, uh, you might have seen in the foyer that there's a group called Food for the Hungry with us today. I would say that Food for the Hungry are part of our extended family. Why would I say that? It's because they have been with us for just about 20 years. We have been in partnership with them for 18 years. Um, They have given to us in terms of retreats, in terms of boot camps, and And for the last 18 years, we've been walking with them um, and visiting the community development projects in rural Ethiopia that they've been doing since then, and we've been partnering with them since then. Probably upwards of half a million dollars has gone from this church uh, to that project in the last 20 years. Four trips, 20 people, numerous more dozens going to the the boot camps that Food for the Hungry has done. And most importantly, and I think this is where it comes into our our sermon today, is that the thinking from the theology that is rooted at the heart of Food for the Hungry came to, to root itself within the DNA of Lambrick, and it changed missional engagement forever. And that's a story in itself, but it's one that we're happy about, we're proud about, and has changed everything that we've been doing and has opened the doors not only to community development in Ethiopia, but to justice work in India uh, and in our partnerships with Mustard Seed and others downtown here. It's expanded and blown our minds in many ways, and I hope there'll be some nuggets and what I'll pray into is that there'll be some things that uh, our speaker will say 
today, which again will stick in our minds because what I, coming up here, I realized this 20-year relationship really started from one 19, 20-year-old student in this church. And so if you are 19 or 20, and if you are feeling that you can't change your community or change your world, then that is wrong, because that has been very much our experience. It's like these beautiful things that you're going to see on the screen during the sermon, and then after the, the service, where we get to, in a way, get to visit Ethiopia, we get to visit the projects. It's like get to get a little snapshot of where only a few of us, including myself, have had the chance to walk there and go there. And we will go there again. So please come with us. Um, but today is a chance to experience that work from afar. And so I'm really looking forward to that. That's what we get at the end of the service, and I'll introduce that. But for now, we get a kind of a snippet into what makes the the what beats at the heart of Food for the Hungry. And that heart is, is God's heart. Is God's heart as God looks around the world and sees the hurting and the injustice and the brokenness in all kinds of areas and says, it's like us, his hands, his feet, get to respond to that. And so let's see what uh, Shalane Strom who has led various boot camps, uh, kind of Poverty 101 workshops that have been at this church. Um, she designs and has, has led that. She's also the national education lead for Food for the Hungry. Uh, and she is the one who is going to be our fa extended family member. It's going to be leading us in our, um, yeah, in our sermon today. So let me pray for Shalane, because... Preparation, uh, the Spirit is in the preparation, and the Spirit is the one who changes our hearts and lives. So, dear Lord, um, calm our hearts, calm our minds, calm our bodies. And Lord, I pray that we get to receive something afresh from you today through Shalane's words through Shalane's preparation, through Shalane's relationship rooted in you, the vine. And Lord, I pray that I thank you for the work that has happened over the last decades. I thank you we've got to taste that, experience that, celebrate the successes, and see tens of thousands of lives changed. Lord, I thank you that you don't just look in the past or in the present, but that you are looking to, uh, to restore and heal into the future. And so I look forward to seeing what you do in us and through us, in FH and through FH as family members. So pray for us today and pray that we come away um, afresh and renewed and learning something more about you. Amen. Good morning, Lambrick Park. What a privilege it is to be able to share with you this morning. I am excited to see what God will do through his word. 
I work with Food for the Hungry as the National Education Lead and have the privilege of facilitating an Ending Poverty Together workshop here in the month of May. It was great to be together and dig into the root causes of poverty and what healthy, holistic solutions can look like. Because the way we work at Food for the Hungry internationally works locally too. I want to thank you for your ongoing partnership with Food for the Hungry for over 20 years and for your current partnership in Sasiga, Ethiopia. The community you are walking with is moving from being stuck in extreme poverty toward thriving and sustainability. And we anticipate that they will graduate in 2024 and hope that many of you will be able to attend those celebrations. We will be sharing more of what's happening in Sasiga with a virtual tour after the service. And I invite you to join my colleague, Rhonda Davison, for approximately 30 minutes so you can see the difference your partnership is making. Please join us after the service. At Food for the Hungry, we have four core values. And the first is that our foundation is God. So we look to scriptures for direction on how to live, how to walk with people, and how to disciple. And we are so thankful that God gives us examples to follow that teach us how to live not just internationally, but in our daily lives here in Canada as well. So let's read 2 Kings 4, 1-7 together. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my boys, my two boys, as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into all the jars until each is filled and put them aside. She left him and shut the door behind him and her and her sons and brought the jars to her. She kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This passage is one we have studied a great deal at Food for the Hungry because it captures so many lessons on how we can engage with vulnerable people. It's a picture, a template, if you will, on how to walk alongside each other in ways that honor vulnerability, treat people with dignity, and share the love of Jesus. So let's take a closer look at the text. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Do you notice what Elisha didn't do here? He didn't say, I understand you're going, what you're going through. I have an aunt who's in exactly the same situation. He didn't ask, what did your husband do to incur so much debt? Or say, do you know who I am? I just saved kings from death and defeat. Why are you bothering me? He didn't avoid eye contact and just toss her a coin or shame her for her circumstances. But what he did do is he listened. In chapter 3, he administered to kings 
And now a destitute woman is crying out to him, and he stopped to hear her need. He, like God, showed no favoritism. He let her tell her story. And then Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? So what didn't Elisha do there? He didn't encourage her to get a job. He didn't hide her and her sons from the creditors in kind of an ancient witness protection program. He didn't offer financial advising services, a free meal, or give her a bag of groceries. He also didn't make assumptions or judgments or jump to conclusions about her. And he didn't say, here, let me help you. But what he did do is ask a critical question. How can I help you? Or another translation says, what shall I do for you? And I think, what could this have done for the widow? I believe it calmed her fears to know that there was help available, but it also maintained her dignity. He didn't jump in and try to solve the problem for her. He planted seeds that change is possible and that she could affect change. One commentary asks us to pause and consider, as we think about Elisha's question, what shall I do for you? We need to remember that Elisha was no ordinary prophet because of his many miracles. In a very unique way, he represented the person, power, and care of God. And the widow, the wife of this prophet, must have been familiar with what God had been doing through the prophet Elisha. In essence, then, she was seeking God's provision through the prophet. When Elisha asked, what shall I do for you? He was in essence saying, what do you want God to do for you through me? And because Elisha had listened well initially, because he had asked questions, he knew the widow's story. She was in danger of losing her sons to slavery because she could not pay off debt to a creditor. If you've read the rest of 2 Kings, you know that we are told about a prophet who God did powerful things through for the sake of justice and healing. In this instance, presumably, Elisha could have just provided oil, provided the containers, or brought about some sort of situation that didn't ask more of someone who was obviously in great distress. But instead, he asks another question. Tell me, what do you have in your house? So what didn't Elisha do? Well, he didn't offer to tweak her resume. He didn't hand her a bag of coins to pay off her debt. He also did not focus on what she did not have. But what he did do is stay involved. He didn't walk away. He began an inquiry process, helping her to identify assets and resources. And he helped the widow by using theological imagination. So what do I mean by that? It's practicing resurrection, practicing new life, not just believing in something. It's imagining with and for those who need good news, imagining what new life might actually look like, proclaiming freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for blind, seeing the oppressed set free. It's imagining what could be and boldly proclaiming that it's God's ultimate hope for creation. And this is the commitment that we need to have if we want to see Christ-like poverty ended and justice done. 
The imagination is a necessity if we're going to live lives committed to Christ-like justice and poverty alleviation. And Elisha uses his theological imagination to invite the widow into a new story, one that sees beyond her current situation. It's likely that Elisha knew why the widow's husband had racked up a big debt. According to Jewish rabbinical teaching and the historian Josephus, this woman was the wife of Obadiah, the administrator of King Ahab's palace, whom Elisha would have known. Jewish teaching says that Obadiah had borrowed money from Ahab to shelter and feed a hundred prophets to protect them from the wicked Queen Jezebel. Obadiah sustained them at his own expense, and he incurred many debts, and now his two sons would have to serve the creditors to the full value of the debts, according to the law. Is it any wonder the widow responds to Elisha's question with, Your servant has nothing there at all. And isn't this widow much like us? In challenging circumstances, aren't we often quick to see our lack or the lack in a situation? And it sometimes takes someone else to point out our quick, unimaginative response. But let's notice that Elisha doesn't jump in to tell her what he sees in response to her reply of nothing. He doesn't jump in to let her know what she has or to offer what he has. I actually imagine him just sitting quietly and waiting. And then, she said, accept a small jar of olive oil. In time and in faith, this woman who was desperately poor, materially presented what may have been oil saved for her own burial. But she chose not to hold it back. She let Elisha know that's what she had. And then Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So again I ask, what didn't Elisha do? He didn't say, I'll pray for you, and carry on to his more public ministry. He did not say, bring the oil to me and I will multiply it, or give her a specific number of jars to collect. God wanted her to act in faith, to gather as many as she had faith God would fill. Through the prophet, God was telling her and us, believe me for your total need. The limitation was not in the supply of oil, but in the lack of empty vessels to be filled. We can always come in faith to God's abundance of grace with our empty vessels to receive the fullness of his grace. So what did he do? He broadened her vision of what resources were available to her, the capability of her sons, the generosity of neighbors. He helped solidify her community, and he empowered her to be part of the solution to her problem. He encouraged her to involve her sons. Family matters to God. Relationship matters because we serve a relational God. But at this point, the widow has a choice to make. Elisha has laid out a plan for her, but she has to decide if she will, in faith, do what this man of God has suggested. And we know she does. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. 
Then the oil stopped flowing. So do you see what Elisha didn't do here? He did not go inside with the widow and her sons. He didn't gather a crowd to witness the miracle. This was between God and the widow's family. Elisha did not pour the oil for her. And he didn't leave. We need to understand and be sensitive to our positions in these situations. He stayed, but at a respectful distance. And what did Elisha do? He waited outside that closed door. He had offered a way of improving what little they had by their own industry and ingenuity. The closed door allowed no opportunity for boasting of his personal involvement in the miracle. God was at work. He also gave each person a meaningful role. Sons gathered and moved the jars while the widow poured. God gave this family the opportunity to praise and worship him for the gift, and Elisha made way for that. And Elisha left her to pour the oil. The oil was multiplied in the pouring. The way to increase what we have is to use it. And this reminds me of the parable of the talents. It's not in hoarding the talents, but investing them that multiplies them. That oil must be poured out by her, not by Elisha to encourage her faith in God, not faith in Elisha. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. What didn't Elisha do? He did not take credit for the outcome. But what he did do is coach her. He walked with her through the entire process and he encouraged her until she reached that place of sustainability. And then he left. In 1 Kings 17, we read of an encounter years prior to this event that Elijah, Elisha's mentor, had with another widow during a time of drought and famine. She was down to her last drop of oil and God intervened and miraculously kept that flow of oil going until the rains came and the famine ended. So why would God perform this miracle for one widow but make another one borrow vessels and sell oil? Well, possibly because the first widow was a victim of circumstances completely outside of her control, an area-wide famine and drought. And so we would call this relief. And there are situations where relief is necessary, where the need is immediate and urgent and food, water, and shelter must be provided or people will die. And there are situations where relief, that offering of things, may actually do more harm than good by creating dependencies on the giver rather than trusting God and taking up one's own responsibilities. This is actually the foundation of a process we call asset-based community development, where assets or strengths, skills, and abilities are identified in communities and then individuals, associations, and institutions come together to realize and develop these gifts. And this is different from de deficit-based approach that focuses on the lack and on giving to service needs. ABCD is rooted in Elisha's question, what do you have in your house? And this is the work of Food for the Hungry, development. At FH, we walk with communities for approximately 10 years. 
We listen. Our staff meet with people in partnered communities, get to know them, and build those trusting relationships over time. And we help people envision a better future, focusing on assets, not deficits. Like Elisha, our field staff ask questions like, what do you have? What would you like your family's life to look like? Who do you already look to for leadership? And then we provide training, education, and supports. We don't do things for people or give material handouts, but rather we help them establish things like savings and loans groups, guiding them through the process of saving, dreaming, creating a vision, and being with them as they turn that dream into a reality. And we celebrate. When entire communities are ready to carry on because they are self-sustaining, we throw a big graduation party, usually around the 10-year mark, like the one we're planning for Sasiga in 2024. And then like Elisha, we leave. When a community is thriving and self-sustaining, we all know it's time for us to move on because this is international development with a biblical foundation. So what can we learn from Elisha and from our international brothers and sisters to apply right here and now? What does it look like in our own families? Two things strike me. First is the widow's posture. She was humble, vulnerable, and shared her need. She took action. Receiving help can be difficult. So I need to admit my own poverty. God intended us to be in four key relationships with Him, with ourselves, with others in the created world. But when sin entered in, those relationships were broken and poverty began. And because we are all in need of forgiveness and reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ, we are all impoverished. And while I may not be as vulnerable as many others, I need to recognize my own poverty and humbly admit my need to God and to others. And secondly, to remember that God is the provider. How often have I done those very things I noted Elisha didn't do? And how often do I feel overwhelmed by the need or feel inadequate to help? But think of the story of Moses when God called him to speak to Pharaoh. Moses felt inhibited by his weaknesses. He didn't feel capable of speaking to Pharaoh or of leading the Israelites out of Egypt because he only saw his disqualifications. And how did God respond to Moses' doubt? He didn't give him a self-help pep talk or affirm Moses' leadership, talents, or gifts. He didn't hug him and cheer him for and speak encouraging words over him. God didn't do that. Instead, he changed the subject. God affirmed his strength, his leadership, his self, because the outcome never hinged upon Moses. The story wasn't about Moses' strength. Moses was never intended to be the hero. Only God could deliver Israelites out of Egypt. And God doesn't intend you or me to be the hero. He is responsible for the outcome. He simply asks us to be faithful to him. I love this passage for its simplistic picture of God's extraordinary power in the ordinariness of life. I love what the passage teaches me about how my need is real and God can and will meet it, and how it encourages me to look inward at what assets God has already provided. 
God comes to us in the very ordinary, the mess, the mundane, every single day in the most basic ways. So what do you need? Look in your house. Let's use our God-given creativity, problem-solving skills, and innovation to think differently about our challenges. Could they be opportunities instead of roadblocks? Could they actually be a means to a longer-term solution? And let's remember that in the end, Elisha, whose name means God is my salvation, did more than help the widow and her sons pay their debt. He helped her find a provision for a lifetime. Go and sell the oil, pay off your debts, and then they could live on what is left. Lambrook Park, my prayer for each of us is that we would have the perspective of Elisha, who listened well, wasn't trapped by details or rushing in to fix the problem. May we leave space for God to do miracles so that we can see Him in the midst. And I pray that we would have the posture of the widow who chose to trust in God's goodness and experience His abundance. That we would experience the provision of the one who loves us more than we can ever fully understand. And may we empower people by God's grace to be fully who they are created and intended to be. May we walk together with one another, remembering that our God is able to accomplish far more than anything we can ask or imagine. And please don't forget to join us for the virtual tour after the service.